Welcome to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. You guys, today we're welcoming Taylor Pierce, who is a sex therapist, and I am so excited to have her. Thank you, Taylor, for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I want to do just a little disclaimer before we get going. Normally, you know that I try to make this so you guys can listen in the car with your kiddos. This would probably not be the best podcast to listen to with littles. So maybe pause it and wait for a more private moment if you have your children in the car. (laughs) Nothing vulgar, but it's just a little more intimate topic today. So tell us, Taylor, about you and your career and... What drew you to becoming a sex therapist? And I'm going to try just not to blush internally (laughs) throughout this entire session. Oh, I totally get that. I know it can feel kind of taboo and a little bit awkward to talk so openly about sex, but I love that you're creating this space to do that. Yeah. So, okay. My name is Taylor. I am a relationship and sex therapist based in Portland, Oregon. And so I help folks with a variety of relationship and sexuality concerns, but I found a particular passion for working with sexual concerns and pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood in general. So what drew me to becoming a sex therapist is it's kind of two parts. I have always had a really nurturing nature, and so it felt really natural for me to enter a helping field. And then I grew up in a really conservative community. I had abstinence-only sex education. And so when I went to college, I took a sexuality and society class to kind of challenge myself. And I was just completely blown away by how little I actually knew about sex and like all of the myths that I have really internalized. And so like from that point, I just had this like spark in me of passion that I wanted to help other people experience that same kind of like enlightenment and empowerment around sexuality. So when I discovered that being a sex therapist was a thing, it just felt like a perfect kind of fit for that nurturing nature that feels really good for me to access and that passion for human sexuality too. That's so important. And I think a lot of people will be familiar with that feeling, even if they didn't have abstinence only education when they were younger, or if they didn't come from a really conservative upbringing, that we all have this sense that sex is taboo or that we shouldn't talk about it. And there's a lot of guilt and shame sometimes around sex. I remember my parents having a really positive relationship and that they were always very, very open in terms of showing affection to each other, but that the sex part of it wasn't necessarily something that they talked about openly at all. And definitely there was an expectation that nothing would be happening until the day he put a ring on it. And and we said, I do. And because there was an expectation of that, honestly, we didn't talk about it that much because it was just assumed that it would be that way. 
And so I felt like I had a lot of questions leading up to it that we didn't discuss in my family. Mm-hmm, totally. I think that can be really common. And, and what happens for folks when they come to see me is often it's like the first time that they're actually talking about sex openly and exploring their sexuality, whether it's on their own or with a partner. And I think it can be kind of really scary and can feel really vulnerable. And it can feel so good and relieving to finally have the space to talk about this part of all of our lives. Yeah, it is a part of every single one of our lives. We were created from the act of sex, right? There is no way to get around that. Definitely. And tell me what people can expect. Not that everyone who's listening will go to a sex therapist in their relationship, but what's it like to be in a sex therapist office? What can they experience there? Because my husband and I have been to a couples therapist who is a sex therapist and Honestly, in my mind, I imagined that there might be paraphernalia hanging from the ceiling. I had no I had no idea what it would be like to go to that type of office. So can you tell people what that's like? Totally. Something to know to start with is that a sex therapist is trained to be a general psychotherapist first, and then they receive additional training around sexuality. And I say that because I think it's surprising for some folks to know that sex therapy can be about exploring all kinds of things and all the parts of your life um, and your emotional world and your family history and your relationships. And so I think it's surprising for folks that it's not just like immediately diving into sex, that all the parts of who you are and your story are welcome. Sex therapy is also talk therapy only. I think some people can get the idea that there could be touch involved, and there are other kinds of providers who do that work. But with sex therapy, it's talk only, so kind of what you would would imagine with any kind of therapist. And in sex therapy, in addition to like kind of your general life and all the parts of who you are, we will explore more in depth your sexual concerns. So we might talk about mismatched desire. We might talk about sexual pain. We might talk about low sexual desire, erectile issues, any of those kinds of concerns that can come up around sexuality. And yeah, so that's kind of what to expect from the process. Definitely. So my husband, when we first, when I first told him, here's this therapist that I found and he looked it up online and he goes, this is a sex therapist, Whitney. I'm not talking about that. Are you kidding me with a stranger, with a female stranger? I don't know that it would have been better with a man, but for whatever reason, he said female stranger. And honestly, maybe twice in all of our sessions, we've really gotten into that part of it so much more, maybe maybe more than that, but really it's been so much more about the relationship And then how does that feed into our physical connection with each other as opposed to the physical connection first? And then how is that connected to our, to our marriage? So definitely, I think most sex therapists who at least are worth their salt, they're thinking about your whole picture and your whole life. So I want to talk about, you said some things around limiting beliefs or around misconceptions people have about sex or about pain. And for new moms and moms who have had kids, I think that that's an area that is especially poignant for them or can be especially sensitive for them. What are some of the common beliefs about sex that you find that moms have or that women have just in general that really don't serve them well? Yeah, 
Oh, there's so many. I think that one thing that comes up is that moms believe maybe that they don't deserve space to even think about their pleasure. I think because being a mom comes with so much responsibility, there's so much that is needed of you in terms of being a parent, that there can be this kind of guilt or or feeling a sense of selfishness if you create space for your pleasure and for your sexuality. And so that's one of the most common things that I, I hear come up for, for moms. And maybe this sense of having to be a caretaker, does that play into that? Totally. Yeah. And I think that's that's really common for women in general and maybe even heightened by the experience of becoming a mother is that there's this idea that women's role is to caretake in relationship. And that can really translate into sex with women maybe thinking that their role in the sexual experience is to please their partner, that they shouldn't have space to talk about their wants and needs in their sexual relationship, and that their pleasure is kind of second to what their partner is experiencing or wanting. For sure. And I think that feeds into this larger concept of as moms showing up for ourselves as individuals first in our lives and in our relationships that yes, you're a mom, but you're a person first. And that's no different when it comes to sex, that it has to be that it's a partnership in that too. And not just about you performing or doing something for someone else, that it can be about you. Do you, do you see that? Totally. Yeah. And I think that without believing that it's also about you, we do get stuck in performing and that really doesn't make us want to engage in sex. Right. So I think it's really common that if that's the kind of place you're in, that you may have really little motivation to connect sexually with your partner because your needs aren't centered and your wants aren't centered. Yeah. And how about the fatigue that comes with motherhood too? Because I don't want to be sexist here. I think, and and we know there are a variety of partnerships, types of partnerships. So I'm talking about at this exact moment, maybe male, female relationships, but in all partnerships, all types of partnerships, there might be this type of dynamic that maybe one person, like we said, is taking on more of the caretaker role. Maybe they're more exhausted Maybe they feel like they have more that's on kind of their plate. And then this other person is kind of showing up to the sexual table without that level of fatigue. Do you see that happening for women too? Totally. Yeah. I think one of the first things I hear is how can I really think about my my pleasure and sexuality when it feels like I have literally no time and space to really think about myself at all? And there can be so much exhaustion with all of the needs that being a parent really requires, right? Something that comes up a lot is which, what is called touch fatigue. And touch fatigue is when someone just feels really touched out, right? So when you are pregnant, you always have like people touching your body, providers, maybe strangers. When you give birth, there's so many people touching your body and kind of like in your physical space. And then when you have children, they touch you so much, right? They, they want closeness. You might be breastfeeding, right? So there's, there's so much touch happening. And I think it's really common for mothers to get into that place of like, I'm so exhausted and overwhelmed by touch that imagining my, my partner touching me in this really intimate way, it just feels like I don't have the space for that and the capacity for that. Ugh, I think that's really real and true. My kids' hands are on me all day long. 
all day long when I'm home. <laughs> like you can't push them away in the same way that you can push your partner away. So how do we address that? I don't want to say solve it because I don't, I think sometimes it's just, it is what it is and we need to wait, but what's the way to still have a sexual, healthy sexual relationship, even if that's the place that we're in? Yeah. I think the the very first thing that I want to name is the importance of inviting some self-compassion. I think it's so easy to get stuck in feeling like I'm not enough. I feel like I can never be enough for my partner and my kids. I just feel so worn out. And we can get into that really critical space. And so I think the first most important thing is to have some self-compassion for yourself to say like, it makes sense that I'm feeling really overwhelmed and exhausted and touched out and that it's okay for me to be in this place that feels challenging right now. I think once you're kind of in that place of kind of permission and acceptance for yourself, then that kind of creates space for you to start to explore the possibilities, right? So I think the first thing you could do from there is to start opening communication with your partner to be able to talk about how you're feeling and to be able to share maybe why you're feeling disconnected from your sexual relationship. And really having that solid foundation of open communication is so important and can feel really connecting if you're feeling kind of alone in your experience. When's the right time for that conversation? Is there a right time? Yeah, I think it's always the right time, right? I think that having really open communication is such an important foundation of a relationship. And so if you're able to kind of work together to create that solid foundation, then it will will often feel like there's space for you to share whenever it's coming up for you. Mm-hmm. And probably not in the act, <laughs> right? I mean, before this happens, before the person comes and tries to pursue you, so they understand why maybe you're saying no more often, would be my guess. Yeah, totally. I think having a conversation when you're not in an intimate moment can be really important because when you're in the moment, it can feel so high stakes. It can feel like there's more pressure for this to be a positive experience. And so it can just feel really hard to, when you're in that kind of space, to then just kind of boldly say like, this is what I'm feeling and this is what's coming up for me and this is what's not working for me. So I think giving yourself permission to have those conversations at a time when you feel a little bit more grounded and when maybe it's not as high stakes. But I do think over time, if you have that really solid communication with your partner, that there are ways to kind of invite that feedback and that conversation in those intimate moments too. Mm -hmm. I had to learn to be a lot more brave in this area. I mean, just to say things, I'm trying to think of a PC way to do this, to say things such as, I really do like it when you kiss my neck, but I'm not as into X, Y, Z, right? And say, and I love you so much and I want this to be successful for us. And so that's why I'm telling you about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does take a lot of courage, right? And I think there can be fear that if, if we do open up and share, you know, this is maybe not working for me, this is where I'm coming from, that we could kind of hurt our partner's feelings or cause someone to feel rejected or that maybe we'll feel more disconnected. And I think that it can actually be more connecting, right? To use that courage and to share and to really be authentic with each other. How about scheduling sex or creating opportunities for sex, 
even when you have kids and things are busy and you're feeling like there's no time. How do you do that? Because it feels before you have kids, like things are, it's, there's always time for sex. And when you have kids, sometimes it feels like, well, we've gotten to 10 p.m. It's too late. Sorry. <laughs> Try again in two weeks. Yeah. I think the first thing is breaking the myth that spontaneity is the only way to have fulfilling sex. There is this idea in our society that, you know, spontaneity and sex is ideal and that it's the best way and that it's more passionate. But I actually think that scheduling sex can be great, right? Because you have more consistent opportunity for sexual connection if you schedule it. Sometimes scheduling it can like give you space to get excited, to check in with yourself, to think about like, you know, how am I feeling? What can I do for myself to kind of get into that headspace when the time comes, right? Are there things that my partner and I kind of need to communicate before our scheduled opportunity for sex comes up? So I think that can be a really amazing tool. And I really encourage kind of, you know, knowing that it's okay not to be spontaneous and that it's okay to schedule opportunities because you're so busy and because you have so many things going on when you have children, right? So what about in relationships where someone might feel like it's uneven and maybe it's a male-female relationship and it's actually the female that's feeling like they're more of the pursuer? Because I think we talk a ton stereotypically about the male being the pursuer, but maybe that's not always the case. So what if someone's listening is feeling like they're more of the pursuer and they're trying to get their partner to be more on board with them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I want to start by saying that this is a really common dynamic, and I actually see it happening both ways, right? So if we're talking about a heterosexual couple, I definitely see where the woman could be more of the pursuer than the man, even though that might kind of not fit with those stereotypical ideas. And so I just want people to know that they're not alone if that's the experience that they're having. I think, again, the most important thing is to move towards that open communication. Oftentimes when you're in this experience of kind of mismatched desire and someone is pursuing and someone is withdrawing, talking about the deeper feelings that are coming up around this experience is so important. So talking about, you know, if you're pursuing and you're feeling kind of rejected by your partner, being able to share, maybe I feel, I feel hurt, I feel abandoned, I feel guilty for continuing to pursue you. I feel kind of insecurity around what that means in terms of your attraction to me, right? And the same for your partner to be able to share that maybe they're feeling shame or they're feeling pressure, they're feeling hurt or anger, whatever feelings are kind of under the surface of those interactions, it's really important to bring those bring those up together. And I think just from that place of understanding those deeper feelings, you can have a lot more understanding. And that understanding alone can kind of start to shift the way that those interactions look and feel. Yeah, I feel like the hardest work and the most important work that we have done on this in my marriage has been about naming feelings and naming the deeper feelings. So I might tend to be able to say easily, you pissed me off. That makes me really angry. But then I have a harder time saying, I feel lonely right now. I feel really far away from you. I feel like 
if we had had sex yesterday, we wouldn't be having this negative dynamic today. What's going on there? And my husband, the same thing. It's easier to kind of talk about those shell feelings than it is to talk about the really deep feelings. So it's a practice. Totally. It really is. Yeah. And I think just having that awareness that there are those different kinds of feelings, right? There are the deeper, more vulnerable, more tender feelings. And then there are those kind of like surface, more reactionary feelings that we tend to go towards, right? So for feeling anger, it's often an opportunity to be curious and to think about like, what is underneath the anger, right? What is the feeling that was deeper and maybe more painful and anger is the way that I react to it. And I think just that framing that there's a difference between those kinds of feelings and the intention to kind of explore and be curious about what's deeper and what's underneath the surface. So hard, right? It's really hard to do. And that can lead to the most connecting conversations with a partner. For sure. How about if you're the opposite? How about if you're the one that feels like you're constantly turning somebody down besides having the conversations outside about the bigger issues as to why? Is there, do you have any tips about ways to be graceful about doing that? You love that person. You want them to have that experience with you and you want it too. It's just not the right moment. Totally. Well, I think first I'll just say that it's always okay to say no and honoring your boundaries and consent is so important, right? But from there, I think if you're not interested in sex, but you still have desire for connection, right? You still want to be able to show your partner, like, I love you and care for you. And I want to be close with you, maybe just not in this way that you're suggesting. Then I encourage offering alternatives, So for example, being able to say something like, you know, I'm not feeling desire for sex right now, but I would really love to connect with you. So are you interested in cuddling, right? Or some other kind of connection that would feel good for you in that moment. I think that can be a really tender and gentle way to show that ultimately you want connection, but you're just not in the same place as your partner in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I will say for myself, 99% of the time, if we start out, I'm blushing. You can see me. No one else can see me. (laughs) If we started out with some type of cuddling or making out or gentle touch or whatever, that's eventually actually going to lead to that anyway. Now, I'm not saying if you absolutely don't want it, then you shouldn't just say No, but usually it's not that I don't actually want it. It's that I can't get out of my own head and that I'm thinking about all these other things I have going on. And so if I can just allow myself to be moved in that direction, then 99% of things at the time, things go kind of in the way that I feel like my partner was, was hoping they would go anyway, you know? that we end up being intimate in the way that he was kind of planning in his mind earlier on in the day. And the other thing that I've done more recently is taking ownership of what are the things that need, I need to do to get out of my head. So saying to him, I'm really interested in that too. And yeah, it's going to happen. Or maybe not that technically more (laughs) in our house is more like, Oh yeah, that's happening in about an hour. (laughs) But let me just get these five emails out and 
get the kids' lunches ready for tomorrow and fold the clothes so that way I'm ready for you. And I'm not distracted and thinking about 80 billion things that are on my running list that will keep me from being wholly connected to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think getting in touch with what allows you to access desire, what allows you to be present in your body, and then what barriers kind of get in the way of that, right? If it's work or things feel kind of unresolved with something that's going on with your kid or anything else, right? Just getting clear on what those things are for you so that you can kind of take care of the things that are barriers And then also intentionally create space for the things that feel really good for you that are more likely to allow you to kind of get into that space of feeling sexual and feeling that that sense of desire. I want to do a quick recommendation for folks if this is your experience. There's a book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski. And this is particularly written for women with this experience of maybe having lower desire or feeling kind of disconnected from their sexual desire. And there's like amazing breakdowns that we can't get into in one podcast that I think are so helpful for putting language to that experience and how to move through it. Hey mama, when I think about the times I have felt the most overwhelmed or discouraged as a mom, they all share one common theme. In all of them, I felt directionless or like I was headed in the wrong direction even. So as I dove into what could make it better for myself or for my family or just for life in general, I started thinking every day about how I was actually going to move toward where I wanted to be in six core areas. My dreams, spending time on what matters, making space for myself, taking care of my mental and physical health, parenting and partnership, and being really purposeful about understanding who my kids are, what their needs are, and how I can best parent them as individuals. And after a while, I realized I had something I could come back to when I felt rudderless, but also that I felt lost less often. So I started writing down for the modernmommy.community more about these six core areas. And that's how the Parenting with Intention journal came to be. Because as I shared what I learned about intentional parenting with other mamas in my clinic or online, it resonated with them. We designed the Parenting with Intention journal to be quarterly, so you could start fresh every three months and be able to look back on the year in chunks and see your progress. If you're feeling like you could use some more intention in your motherhood journey, you can check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash shop. You can make your own journal with a notebook or even lined paper. You don't have to buy anything to do this. Above all, I hope you'll take at least five minutes a day to stop, slow it down, and really get intentional about what your motherhood journey is all about. That's great. Okay, I'll put the links in the show notes, okay, everybody? So you can find them there. Yeah, that's great. And speaking of, how about sexual ruts with our partners? Because I think, again, with the day-to-day, the over and over again, all the things that go on in our lives, the spontaneity piece is a part of it. But then also I think there's a part of it of maybe every single time we do this one position or every single time there's all of these steps that we go through and it always goes exactly this way. Is there a way that people can get out of their ruts and be more spontaneous even in the moment? Totally. Yeah. 
I know I keep going back to communication, but I think that's a good place to start here is to check in with yourself and your partner to kind of ask, how do I feel about our sex life? What's feeling really good about it? What's maybe not feeling as good about it? Is there something that I'm interested in exploring and that we could explore together that might be kind of new or exciting? I also really encourage inviting playfulness and fun into your sexual relationship. I think sometimes when you're in that kind of stuck place where it feels like the same thing every time, that incorporating some playfulness and fun can feel really good. So that might be trying something new together, like going to a sex shop, right? Or if that feels like a little too too spicy, then just talking about something new that you might want to try together, right? Or incorporating some like laughter and humor into your sexual experiences. I think it kind of playfulness and fun brings this lightness into sex. And that lightness can be a really good foundation for feeling more open to trying new things and exploring with your partner. Mm-hmm. And do not blame me for your Google search results on this, ladies. But if <laughs> if you want help with this, there there are tons of fifty days, fifty different sexual experiences on the internet, right? That are for couples. You could buy a book that has ideas for one different thing you could do every day, and it could be something benign. It could be you light a candle. You know, I'm not talking about getting crazy here. You can if you want to, but I'm talking about just lighting a candle or putting on the rap music or putting on the Mozart music. I don't know, whatever your thing is, but you don't have to think of it all yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much out there. One thing I really like is it's called the Yes, No, Maybe inventory. And that's kind of like a fun list of different things that you could try in your sexual relationship. And you can say yes, you can say no, or you can say maybe. And maybe is kind of in that space where you're like, I don't know, but I'm kind of open to talking about it and exploring what that could be like. So that's a really great resource that I can can send you the information for too. Yeah, that would be great. The other thing I think is vacations, right? Getting out of your environment. I mean, date nights, vacations. People talk all the time about going on a date night every single week. In my house, that just doesn't work because our lives are too busy. But we do have check-ins that we do every single week to talk about our relationship that we have scheduled. And then we really have focused a ton on taking weekend getaways together so that we're in a different actual physical space. And I feel like almost every single time, mother-in-law, Melanie Caceres, if you're listening to this and you've been watching my kids on these (laughs) vacations, I'm sorry (laughs) to break it to you. But I feel like every single time we come back with a new lens on life, right? It feels like we're able to invigorate our relationship. It feels like now for the next month that every time that we come together physically, that there's something that we draw on from that vacation time that we were together. Something new we talk about, something new that we have in our minds, So taking vacations together or getting on getaways, or even if it's in your own town, doing some experience where you go out dancing or you go to a concert together or whatever it is. Totally. Yeah. I think taking advantage of whatever community and support that you have to say like, you know, if someone could watch the kids, we could really use this space for ourselves, right? Even if it's like going to a hotel 
downtown in the city or town that you live in, right? Just small ways to start to create space for just you and your partner to access that closeness and to access that intimacy. Mm -hmm. And what if someone had something on their list that they wanted to try with their partner and they were too nervous to bring it up? Any tips on that? Yeah, I think I would start by being curious with yourself around why you feel nervous to bring it up. So getting a sense of what are those maybe deeper feelings there? Am I feeling shame, embarrassment, guilt? And why might I be feeling that way? So first starting with that curiosity. I also like kind of doing this exercise where you identify what this thing is that you're excited to try. So let's say that it's a fantasy that you have, right? Being able to say, okay, this is the fantasy I have and breaking it down into parts. What is it about this this new thing or this fantasy that would feel good for me? What is it about this that would feel exciting? And starting to see if you can slowly incorporate parts of it into your sexual experiences with your partner, even if you feel nervous to bring up the first thing that's on your mind. I want to go back to the early motherhood piece of things because there are a lot of moms who are going to be listening who just had a baby and who might be having more pain or might feel like their body is not exactly the same as it was before they gave birth. And I'm hoping you can talk to moms about that, about how to deal with grief feels like a big word, but I think that is sometimes the accurate word about feeling like maybe you don't recognize your body just when you're walking around in the world, but that also that you don't recognize your body when it comes to sex, that everything is different. How do you walk people through that when they're in the office or when you're working with them? What can we do to make that transition a little smoother for moms? Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that comes up for me is I really want to encourage more and more space to talk about the postpartum experience before it happens. I've noticed that there's so much emphasis on pregnancy and birth, and then a lot less support and space to talk about what comes next and what life is really going to look like after that experience and with a child. And so it's something I just want to encourage is maybe if you're in the the early phase and you're still in that experience of pregnancy or you're going to have more children in the future to really remember that it's okay to take take space for yourself to consider what kind of support you might need postpartum and really starting to have those conversations earlier and earlier feels really important. But if you're already in this space, I just want you first to know that you're not alone, that this is such a common experience. And I totally believe and have hope that you will be able to move through it. For folks who are experiencing sexual pain after pregnancy, I want to kind of highlight that it is common, but not normal. And I use that language to clarify that it's common because so many folks experience it and that it's not normal and that there's totally support to address the pain so that it doesn't have to be your experience. So an amazing resource, if that's the place that you're in, is pelvic floor physical therapy. Yes. Amen for pelvic floor physical therapy. (laughs) Yeah, so important and so helpful. I think that 
every person who experiences pregnancy should like be mandated to go. I think it should be more accessible. But I just want to throw that out there if that's the experience that you're having, that a pelvic floor physical therapist is able to support you if you're having sexual pain and really starting to build up your your pelvic floor so that you can have a more comfortable experience. I think also one thing that comes to mind for me is self-care. And I know this this word is thrown out all the time now, but I think that, you know, when you're you're having a hard time with this really big transition in your life and you're feeling the loss of maybe who you were before having kids, including your sexual self, or you're feeling kind of insecure about your body and the changes that it's experienced, that what you really need and deserve is space to take care of yourself and to build relationship with who you are now, right? Including how your body is now. And I think we can only do that if we have space. And so I think really knowing that you deserve that space, you deserve support, you deserve to take care of yourself so that you even have the opportunity to kind of reconnect with your body and your identity and motherhood. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And And also I think recognizing, starting to pay attention, really being an observer of yourself about if you are feeling way more anxious than you've ever felt, if you are feeling way more sad than you've ever felt, I'm sure that you see so many people that come in with unresolved postpartum depression or anxiety or moving through that. And that plays into our sexual relationships, but even more importantly, I mean, just plays into our overall mental health and our ability to function in the world. Totally. Yeah, it's so common to have difficulty emotionally after birth and as you're adjusting to parenthood. And so I think really starting to set up support for yourself, maybe seeing a therapist so that you can start to explore all these really big feelings that may be showing up for you is so important. And I think what ends up happening often is that becomes like lowest priority, right? That because there's not a lot of support and space to talk about motherhood and the impact of motherhood in our society, that women are in the place where they have to focus on work, on being a partner, on being a mom and caring for their home and like all the other responsibilities they have and that their own emotional well-being kind of falls on the back burner. And I really want to challenge that to kind of flip it over and to center your emotional well-being first so that you have the capacity to show up in those other parts of your life more fully. Definitely. The more work that I do with moms who have kids in those early stages, the more I see that it really is about going slower in most areas and doing less. So going slower as you enter back into work if possible, going slower when it comes to sex after you've had a baby, going slower as you ramp up all your activities and all your obligations after you've had a baby, and then doing less as in deciding that someone else can do the dishes or deciding that you're going to delegate so that that way the groceries come to your house and you don't spend three hours at the grocery store. And then I think assessing even in the moment on the, on a daily basis, what things am I doing that aren't actually serving me or my family, 
but are just because I feel like this is always the way I've done it. And instead, how do I actually want my life to look? How am I going to show up for me, like you said, so that I can show up for everybody else? What I found is that if I don't show up for me, I can still do it all because moms are really good at still doing it all. But in the end, I pretty much hate my life. (laughs) I mean, let's just, you know, and I think that's the story of a lot of women, a lot of moms out there, or maybe not all the time in their sexual relationships, but I can still do it, but I'm not really enjoying it that much. It's not that great for me, as opposed to it being this amazing experience that they have top of the world where they're getting what they need from their partner and their partner's getting what they need, that it's more if you're the lowest person on the ladder, you'll still function because that's what we've been taught to do as women, especially, but you won't ever be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think that, you know, thinking about all of those shoulds that you might carry, whether it's around, I should be this way as a partner, I should be this way as an employee, or I should be this way as a sexual person, like any shoulds that you carry and starting to replace them with coulds, right? So creating a little bit more space to think about like, should I really, (laughs) right? Like, what if I, I gave myself permission to let go of some of those expectations that create so much pressure, right? And that feels so unrealistic in terms of actually feeling fulfilled and at peace and, and like you're, you're okay, right? So that feels so important. What about the body piece? What research is there around, and again, I'm going to just talk to heterosexual relationships, but this relates to everybody. It's only because this is my own experience. What about for women who are feeling like postpartum or even several years later, like their body is unattractive to their partner? Is there is there research out there about if that's actually true for our partners? If what we're perceiving or what we're thinking that the other person is thinking is actually real? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think overwhelmingly, it's not the case that it's real, right? That in general, folks are really open to their partner's bodies changing and evolving because that's just part of life, right? But I think it makes so much sense to get stuck in that insecurity and to struggle with understanding and connecting with your body as it's changed because of the society that we live in, right? So one of the things that like is a pet peeve of mine is how much the media says things like get your body back after having a baby. Oh, it's everywhere. And it doesn't make any sense, right? Because it's like, what body are you getting back? Your body has always been there, right? It's still there. I think it's also so connected to misogyny, right? And that there are all of these standards, especially for women's bodies, that are really overwhelming and not realistic. And ultimately, that's just so that we'll keep buying products to try to change our bodies. So I think being able to like call out the BS of all of that messaging in our society and to kind of reclaim, like, it's amazing that my body has carried life 
And it's so powerful that I was able to do that and able to experience that. And it's natural and normal for bodies to change and to experience ebbs and flows in our bodies. And that if we can have that stance of acceptance and compassion towards our bodies, it often creates this kind of foundation of confidence, right? That allows us to connect with our partners. Because that's the most common barrier for partners is not that you're body has changed, but that maybe you're more stuck in your head because you're not comfortable with your body, right? And that disconnect of, I want to be with you and I want to be with your body. And it feels like you're not able to kind of meet me there because of that insecurity. I feel like for a solid three months after I had my first baby, remembering back six years ago, I'm pretty sure that I told my husband that we could only have sex in the dark. Which is so sad looking back. My experience was not that with my second child. Thankfully, I'd evolved slightly in terms of how I thought about myself. But I think that's really common. Maybe they don't do that. Maybe not every listener is telling their partner it has to be completely in the dark. But I think most people wish that it was. (laughs) And you're right. I think it comes back to seeing our bodies not as a lesser version of what it was before or trying to get back to something, but instead accepting this is where my body is right now. Look at what an amazing thing it did to be able to bring a human into the world. I mean, this is so rad. And these are my battle scars that I have from this war that I waged with nature to get this child into the world as a healthy human being and not to put more pressure on women at all. But when I think about how I want my daughters to look at themselves, I really, it, that's the thing that motivates me in part to do the work on feeling positive about my own body. And that, and the reason that I have done a lot of work on feeling positive about my own body is because I would hate it if my kids hated their bodies, my two girls, if they looked at themselves. So I think that is a key piece of it is really getting real with yourself about how do you actually feel about what your body looks like? And is it actually about what it looks like? Or is it about that you feel like your identity shifted and that it's not, you're not who you were before? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Seeing kind of what could be under the surface of the focus on your body, right? That maybe it's deeper than that for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something I like to kind of give my clients to do as homework and it's called mirror work. And that is when you, and I tend to start slowly so you can do it with clothing first and then slowly be move towards doing it naked, but like looking in the mirror and just building relationship with your body again, right? I think we can get into the place of kind of like ignoring, avoiding, not paying attention to our bodies when we're in that place of feeling insecure about them. And so it's about looking at your body, connecting with it, and then offering yourself some affirmations about your body. So being able to say like, you know, I appreciate that my stomach you know, carried life, right? I appreciate that my breasts were able to feed my child. I appreciate that my body allows me to move through the world every day. So really starting to bring some of those more affirming, self-compassionate 
ways of thinking while you're physically connecting with your body. It can be really hard, even though it sounds simple, but that can be so transformational to, to build that practice. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. That's an amazing tip. Thank you. I think people are going to really take that home. And I agree. I don't think that is an easy thing to start doing, but it's again, kind of this practice right? Of the more that you're have self-compassion for yourself, the more that you're talking to yourself in a positive way. And by no means am I perfect on this at all. So, but I do think that the more that I've practiced over time, being that way toward my body, toward myself, the healthier that my relationship has been with my own body, my sexuality. So if people are looking for more resources and they're hoping to find people in their own community or online who can help them with their specific situation, what should they be looking for? Yeah. So if you're interested in working with a sex therapist or a sex coach, someone in that field, there is an uh, association called the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. So it's ASECT. And that website would have some wonderful resources for finding some local providers in your area who have some training in supporting folks through sexual concerns. You can also just Google and research like sex therapy, sex coaches in your area. And I think when you find people, I really encourage talking to them about what kind of training they have what kind of experience they have in supporting folks in your position, whatever you're wanting to get help with, and really being your own best advocate to make sure that you're working with someone that you feel really comfortable with in terms of their approach and their training and and expertise. Okay, final question before we tell people where they can find you. Just overarching. So if someone is hoping to create a really healthy, lasting positive sexual relationship with themselves and with their partner, what do you think would be the top three or four things that they need to have on their list? The top three or four things they need to be really focused on. Mm, I love that. Okay. I think first, probably not surprising that I'm saying this is open communication. And that includes with yourself too. So having active and open curiosity towards yourself and your partner around how you're feeling about your sexuality, what you want, what you would be interested in exploring, and just really having that that space to talk about and think about your sexuality. I think permission and self-compassion is something else that's so important. So permission to be where you are, inviting a lot of self-compassion around whatever you're struggling with, knowing that you deserve self-care, you deserve access to pleasure, you deserve to feel empowered and really giving yourself permission to be wherever you are in that journey. And then I think the last thing that I would name is intentionality. So having fulfilling connection with our own sexuality or with a sexual partner requires work, right? It doesn't just happen on its own. And so I think knowing that it does take a level of intentionality to have that really positive relationship with your own sexual self and with your partner and creating this space to actively work on your sexuality and your sexual relationship is so important as well. Those are great. And it sounds like also in terms of the intentionality, scheduling time, not just for date nights, but scheduling 
sex. I heard one sex therapist say in the past that before we have kids, we think about our sex lives as really spontaneous because the kids aren't around. So then if we go on a date and then one thing leads to another, then awesome. And it just happens. But there's a lot of planning that goes into all of those experiences. You plan the date you're going to go on. You plan the clothes you're going to wear. You spend an hour getting ready and doing your hair and getting your makeup done and listening to music that kind of pumps you up for the night or whatever. And that in some ways, it might even take more planning in those ways pre-kids. And that once you have kids, (laughs) that yes, it might take more planning to have the actual time set up and that that feels less sexy to have it on a calendar, but that in reality, the amount of time that it takes you to get to having sex or get to being in a position where you guys are both in the same room at the same time, and this is a, po- this is a possibility, is in fact less. So I don't know what you think about that, but I think that really struck me as true, that it's a different type of scheduling that type of scheduling or spontaneity, that type of scheduling or spontaneity didn't feel like it. This one feels more like it post kids, but that in some ways it's the same amount of work as it was before. It's just different work. Mm -hmm. I love that perspective. I think something that happens a lot is because of the society we live in and a lack of education and all of the mixed messaging in the media, sex can just feel so complicated and complex. And I think in reality, it's not as complex and challenging as we might think that it is once we start really creating the space to be intentional and to do that exploration. And so I think that's a great example that it can feel kind of awkward and uncomfortable to think about scheduling sex. And once you do it, it feels like, oh yeah, this is kind of familiar. It's just a different a different way than maybe it was before kids. We're so glad that you're here today. Can you tell listeners where to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I work in a group practice here in Portland, Oregon called the Center for Couples and Sex Therapy. So you can find more information about me on that website, which is ccstpdx.com. And then I also have an Instagram that I'm pretty active on, and that is at sex therapy for all. So if you're not local to Portland, but you still want some support, um, some tips, some resources, you could check me out there as well. Great. And we will put, like I said, all of the resources that you talked about on the show notes so that that way, even if you live in an area that doesn't have a lot of sex therapists, even if you're not sure where to start, then you can take the first steps to getting help and getting support. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, hey, hey. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast so you're automatically notified every time we have powerful information, inspiration, and amazing guests to share with you. We would also be so honored if you shared the Modern Mommy Doc podcast with your friends by snapping a screenshot of this episode and posting it with hashtag Modern Mommy Doc so we can spread the word and help more mamas win at parenting without losing themselves. Thanks for being part of our community.